This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Our dear fathers, we come before you today. We really pray that you give us hearts that are willing to listen to your word and eyes which can see what it's saying and a willingness to submit to it. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I was reading a newspaper in the live section just a few days ago of the director of this movie called, I think, Life. Uh, I wouldn't mind watching that movie, even though it sounds a bit scary. But he was saying that we live in such a chaotic age that people today don't know what's going to happen in 10 years' time, let alone what's going to happen in 100 years. And I think it's really true where we live in such uncertain times that we don't even know what's really going to happen in the near future, let alone what's going to happen in the far future. Uh, We live in times of uncertainty, insecurity, and doubt. But I think that that's where the book of Acts really comes in. Because as we study the book of Acts, it seems to speak of certainty. And that word certainty, uh, the idea of a direction, to which history and the future are moving to, are very clear in the book of Acts. So as we begin looking at the book of Acts, we actually see that it's a continuation from the Gospel of Luke. It's like Luke volume 2. So we saw in the responsive reading, if you look up here on the slide, Acts actually follows on from Luke. And Luke begins by the author, Luke, writing to this guy called Theophilus, about the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So the purpose of the book of Luke is all about writing to Theophilus about the certainty of the things that he has been taught. Now, this Theophilus, uh, if you remember way, way back when we did Luke, could be a real person living sometime in the first century, or it could be a symbolic person. Because the name Theophilus is quite a, a symbolic name, because the word Theo, it's like the word theology, right? So theos is, is the word God. And philos is the word love. So literally the, the word Theophilus is someone who loves God. Could be a sincere seeker, could be a convert, could be a Christian. But it could be that Luke was just writing symbolically to someone who loves God. And he wants that person, whether it's a real person or a symbolic person, to know the certainty of the things that have been taught. As we go through the book of Luke, as we have been through it before, we saw that by the very end of the book of Luke, he had shown the certainty of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and Jesus as the Christ, the Savior, and God. Okay, so the, the next slide. And as we come to the very end of the book of Luke, as we did in the responsive reading, It says that this was all part of God's plan. It's not some random event which happened in history. It's not some sort of coincidental things which happened. But the way that Luke has written it is to show that these things are actually following a very concrete plan of God which had been set apart, set in stone basically, before even Jesus came when Moses had been writing in the first five books of the Old Testament the prophets and the Psalms, the rest of the Old Testament. So if you look up here on this slide, the last part or the last words of Jesus are very important because they form the link 
between Luke and Acts. Because Jesus, when he spoke to the disciples, said, this is what is written, right, all of the Old Testament, that the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. But that's not all that Jesus said. Because Jesus said that the scriptures also speak that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So if you see the, at the end of Luke, only the first part in yellow, oh, it's not yellow, right? Oh, I can't see very well from this angle. Oh, the first part in blue has been fulfilled. Because the fulfillment of the scriptures in Jesus, that he would die and rise from the dead, has been fulfilled by the end of Luke. But the second part of what scripture was saying, repentance and forgiveness of sins, preached to all the nations, has not been fulfilled. And that's where the book of Acts comes in. Now this is very important because as we come to the end of Luke, the question really that the reader should be having if you're like paying attention is what happens now that Jesus has left? Right? I mean, what happens now that Jesus has gone up to heaven? Will God's plan, written in scripture all those thousands of years ago, still be fulfilled? Will there still be the certainty of what's going to happen? So we turn now to Acts chapter 1. And uh, as we, we come to Acts chapter 1, we see that familiar name, Theophilus. Right In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of, to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times and, or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you see the link here? At the end of Luke, Jesus has said that scripture says that repentance and forgiveness of sins still needs to be preached to all nations. At the beginning of Acts, we see Theophilus again. And Jesus speaking to the disciples saying that they will receive power from the Holy Spirit. And they are the ones who will be their witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now that's why... When you come to the book of Acts, and you actually open uh, the book of Acts in your Bibles, I'm not sure if you have it in your handphones or your laptops, but if you look at some of the older translations of uh, the uh, book of Acts in your Bibles, there's sometimes a subtitle which says, The Acts of the Apostles. I don't know if any of you have in your Bibles the subtitle which says Acts, and then The Acts of the Apostles. I don't think that's exactly right, because... The book of Acts is not really about the Acts of the Apostles. If you understand Acts in relation to Luke, it's actually the Acts of Jesus Christ through the Apostles. It is the continuing actions of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in the Apostles. 
That's why if you go back one slide, it says, in my earlier book, I wrote to you all that Jesus began to do and to teach. But in the book of Acts, it is a continuation of what Jesus is continuing to do, except this time through the apostles. Now, as we come to this part of uh, the book of Acts, just right at the very beginning, it actually teaches us the structure or the narrative flow of the book of Acts. Now, in the ancient world, uh, they wrote the Bible on pieces of uh, animal skin or you know, thin pieces of paper made of papyrus. And these uh, papyrus or animal skins were very ex- expensive, extremely expensive, right? People used to scrape off the writings and write over them over and over again like a blackboard. Okay, People didn't write on like laptops where you know you just write random stuff and you keep rearranging it or pieces of paper which you know you buy a full scrap pad for two dollars at popular bookshop, right? So the book of Acts actually is a very structured and a very carefully written book. So there are things which are left out which we don't need to follow and there are things which are in there which are very important. And the way that Acts is structured is very precisely along those lines of Jesus' promise that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations. So if you look up here on uh, this diagram, I've got a few diagrams for you. Okay, so you'll see that actually the structure of the book of Acts is actually based on the promise of Jesus and the fulfillment of Scripture. That from Jerusalem all the way out to Rome, different apostles and different groups of people are actually receiving the word of God. Uh, Next slide. You can actually see this one. It looks a bit easier to understand where you can actually see the word of God uh, of repentance and forgiveness since going out further and further radiating away from where it started in Jerusalem. And if you look at this map again, you can see from Jerusalem right to Samaria, further on Judea, all the way out to all nations. The gospel is going further and further out. And I think if you look at this other diagram, which is also quite helpful, except the, 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 that blue is not very clear, you can also see that there are different sorts of people who are being converted. It's not just the Jews, but it was the Jewish Jews who were converted first, then the Hellenistic Jews, which were like the Greek-speaking Jews, and then the converts to Judaism, like the Ethiopian, then the seekers of Judaism, until those who have no connection, all the people like the Greeks and the Romans, who start coming to Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at the book of Acts, we kind of take it for granted that, ah, you know, this is all so logical and so easy to, to follow. But for the original reader, it would be quite unbelievable that this could actually happen. Because when we begin in chapter 1, how many believers or converts are there? There are just 12, right? Which we read chapter 1. There are only 12 apostles, 12 disciples. But because of the fulfillment of God's plan, the certain plan of God, by the very end of Acts, we have hundreds of thousands of people who are now coming to Christ. Now, I think that this is something that we take for granted but it actually shows the certainty of the onward plan of God, which God planned even before the birth of Jesus Christ. I remember reading this book. I didn't bring it out with me. It was a BBC book about history. 
And the writer was trying to give all these sociological explanations about the spread of Christianity. So, you know, he was saying about how maybe Christianity appealed to the poor people. Or Christianity was adopted by Roman civilization because they needed a moral or ethical framework. Uh, Or is it because Christianity spread because the people live really good lives? But when you think about it, actually it's very unsatisfactory because during that time there were many religions and many religions which had ethical frameworks which had people living good lives. So Socrates, the philosopher, uh, lived just a couple of hundred years before Jesus and he, he himself was a very good man. He was a very principled man. He actually deliberately drank poison uh, in order to take his life, in order to make a moral purpose, a moral stand, but even so, his philosophy never took root the way Christianity did. So when I read the the history books, I think all these sociological explanations don't actually make the sense that the book of Acts does. Because in the book of Acts, it actually shows that the only way to make sense of the spread of Christianity and the word of God is because it is the certain plan of God in the direction of this world. So if you look at Luke and Acts, the author Luke likes this word a lot. And this word is the Greek word day. Okay, so it's up here on the slide. The word day is the word necessary, must. Okay, 40 times in the book of Luke and Acts, Luke keeps using this word day. And it shows the necessity of things being done because it is part of God's plan for it to come to fulfillment. So in Luke chapter 24, Jesus said, This is what I told you while still with you. Everything must, they... Can you see the Greek up there? Yeah, okay. Be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. In Acts chapter 3, verse 18, it says, This is how... God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that this, sorry, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Christ. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Acts chapter 23, the following night, the Lord stood before Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must, they, also testify in Rome. It's very important for us to know the purpose of the book of Acts, that it is showing the certainty of God's plan moving forward. Because without knowing the purpose of the book of Acts, many people mistake what the book of Acts is about. It's not about, the, this is not like the Holy Spirit manual, right? So people go to the book of Acts trying to decide, okay, is there two-step or one-step baptism? Right? You know, do you need to be baptized first and then they, do you get the Holy Spirit or do you get the Holy Spirit first when you're converted and then you get baptized? Okay, that's not the purpose of Luke. Uh, the book of Acts is not a manual about whether we should be healing and speaking in tongues. The book of Acts also is not about whether we should have infant baptism or water baptism after people become converted. The book of Acts also is not a church manual about running church. Again, 
The purpose of Acts is to know the certainty of God's plan to bring repentance and forgiveness to the ends of the earth. Now, as we study the book of Acts, as we study the Bible overview for our Bible studies, both of these uh, long studies, in a sense, are meant to show us the overarching story of God's actions in this world, that there is a purpose to His actions. Now, I was, I was reading this uh, book, uh, which is about Adam and Eve and whether they really existed or not, and I... I came across this really fascinating quote and it was so profound. I sort of like dropped my jaw for a few moments and I thought, this is amazing. I must share at the church, right? So this guy wrote, he said, to miss the grand narrative of scripture is a serious matter. It is not simply a matter of misinterpreting parts of scripture. It is a matter of being oblivious to which story is shaping our lives. Some story will shape our lives when the Bible is broken up into little bits and chunks, theological, devotional, spiritual, moral, or worldview bits and chunks, then these bits can nicely fit, can be nicely fitted into the reigning story of our own culture with all its idols. The Bible loses its forceful and formative power by being absorbed into a more encompassing secular story. Now, if you actually think about what this person has said, it is really profound. Because what he's saying is that what modern society and modern culture does is we break out the Bible into little bits and pieces, and we take those little bits and pieces, and we fit it into this big secular story that we live. And that's how you get things like the the prosperity gospel, or healing, or that, you know, Christian life is about being comfortable. We just break out the Bible into little bits and chunks and pieces, and we just fit these little pieces into the worldview that we already have. But the book of Acts, and as we do the Bible overview, does not allow us to do that. It actually teaches us that there is an overarching story to the Bible to which we need to be part of, and not allow ourselves to take the bits of the Bible and try to fit it into our own secular, idolistic worldview. So this is something that we must always remember. The book of Acts is about the purpose of God to, to bring repentance and the forgiveness of sins, the word out into the ends of the earth. Now, if that is part of God's plan from before the coming of Jesus, then the second question that Acts answers is, what is our part in the plan? How do people, Christians, play a part in God's plan? Well, the part that we play, that Christians play, is to preach the message of Jesus Christ, to preach repentance, to preach forgiveness of sins. Now, the book of Acts, actually, if you look at it, it's a quite a long book. Huh? If you flick through it, it's all of uh, 28 chapters. But you'll notice that one-third of the 28 chapters is sermons. Right? It's like long sermons, small sermons, big sermons, but it's all full of sermons, one third of it. And if you have a look at the table I've put up here, you can see these are the major sermons in the book of Acts. So Peter preaches a lot in the beginning. He preaches to the Jews in Jerusalem, then he preaches at Cornelius' house. 
Then Stephen preaches to the Jews in Jerusalem, and then Paul comes in the picture, and then he preaches further and further out to the Jews in Pisidia and Antioch, then the Greeks in Athens, the elders in Ephesus, the Jews in Jerusalem, Felix in court, and Agrippa in court. One of the purposes of these sermons is to show us the content of the word that is meant to be spread from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, to the nations. And as you look at these sermons, you'll see that they always focus to going to God through Jesus Christ, through repentance, through the forgiveness of sins. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, there was a visitor at our church. I think he comes from a new creation. And we had an interesting discussion. And he was saying that, you know, he really believes in God's grace and whatnot. But he said something very interesting to me. He said, um, during the morning tea time, he said, you know, he said, you know, God is a rich God. And God would like to bless us with good things. So why would God not want us to be rich? And I think that's very logical. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, God is very rich. I mean, obviously he owns the whole world and everything in it, right? I mean, and God is a loving God. He wants to bless us with good things. So why wouldn't he want us to be rich? But as you study the book of Acts and you look at the overarching story of God, uh, it never... It never frames the word of the gospel in that way. And more than that, if you look at the one-third of Acts, which forms the sermons, you'll never see any sermon in the book of Acts along that trajectory, along that sort of logic. Because the word in Acts is always about going to God through Jesus, His death and resurrection, through repentance and forgiveness of sins. And the whole point of the book of Acts is to actually show that the word successfully goes out to the whole world. So come to the very end of um, the book of Acts, right? So I think last week, remember, I said that um, somebody quoted and said that, you know, in sermons, people only remember the introduction and the conclusion and all the mistakes in between, right? So the last word is very important, <clears throat> The last verse of the book of Acts says, Paul is in uh, house arrest in Rome, and boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and thought about the Lord Jesus Christ. Full stop. Now, this is kind of a very weird ending if you're watching a movie. Because if you're watching a movie, the questions will be obvious. What happened to Paul? What happened to the court case? Did Paul live? Did Paul die? What happened? But you see, this is not a movie. Uh, the reason why Acts ends this way is because the whole purpose of the book of Acts is to answer the question, did the gospel go to the ends of the earth? Did repentance and forgiveness of sins Go out into the ends of the earth like God had promised in his word and that Jesus said would happen. Now, if witness of Jesus to the ends of the earth is all about the purpose in the book of Acts, then how do we play a part in it? Obviously, we play a part because we must take the word out as well. 
uh, I was reading a manual on preaching, right? So someone said that when you preach a sermon, there's always the necessary application, the impossible application. So, you know, there's some applications which are impossible, and there are some applications which you must preach. The necessary application in this passage must be that the word goes out through people like you and me. If God's plan is for the word to go out to all nations, then the way it's achieved is through people like you and me. It is not just the word going out by the apostles. If you look at the book Acts up here again on the slide, you see that the Christians preached the word wherever they went. So in Acts chapter 8, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. In Acts chapter 12, uh, even though they faced opposition and persecution, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. In Acts chapter 13, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. So the necessary application must be that the word goes out through us. That is part of how we are part of God's plan. The certain plan to bring the gospel to all nations. The impossible application, right? the, the impossible application is that somehow we feel that we are excused from bringing the word out to people. Because as we look in the book of Acts, everybody is bringing out the gospel as they move out from Jerusalem. I think the sermons, the, the, the great number of sermons in the Bible, especially in the, the book of Acts, sorry, also show us the content of the word that we are meant to preach to people. So uh, Nick was telling me about how he met somebody in uh, Cathay. You know Cathay Cinema, the Cathay building in the city? And um, he met a lady there in a shop selling cakes or something, muffins, or don't know what, some sort of cakes, muffins, something. And this lady uh, comes from, uh, I can't remember, one of the two mega prosperity churches in Singapore, told Nick that she was unhappy that um, that across from Cathay Building, the Orchard Road Presbyterian Church had put up, you know those they have this big banner. If you're a driver, you can't help but notice it. These big banners opposite Orchard Road Presbyterian Church around Christmas time Easter. Actually coming Easter, I'm sure there'll be a banner now where they have a Bible passage talking about Jesus in some way. Because she said that actually you can evangelize without, without putting it in people's face that way. And she said, I'm evangelizing when I make good cakes. But can you really use good cakes to evangelize people? I guess you could, you know, if you have a cake and then you have a Bible passage written on top of it. But can you really evangelize people that way? I think according to the book of Acts, you cannot. Because according to the book of Acts, if you look at the sermons which are preached there, they are always bringing you to Jesus Christ through repentance and forgiveness of sins. And I think that what happens is, if we live in a world where we seek to dilute the word to make it more socially acceptable, then you're no longer actually part of God's plan to bring his word into the world. 
Because if I say to you, I'm evangelizing you by making a good cake, then all I'm saying is, believing in Jesus Christ helps me to make good cakes. Or believing in Jesus Christ helps me to be a successful cake owner, cake shop owner. But it doesn't teach me about repentance, forgiveness or sins, or salvation in Jesus. Now, once we are clear about those two things, the certainty of God's plan to bring about His Word to all nations, if we are clear about the role of us bringing that Word to people, then that then helps us with the last part, the suffering and opposition which comes by believing in Jesus and bringing that Word to people. If one-third of Acts is about sermons, then actually another third of Acts is about opposition and suffering. So one-third sermons, one-third suffering. Okay, then one-third the rest. So if you actually look at the the uh, the book Acts, chapter 21 to 28 about Paul, it's only about quite a lot about suffering, right? But if you look through, you can actually see that there's a whole lot of suffering that goes on in the book of Acts. You have external religious opposition from other religious groups or even people who are sort of sympathetic, but, but they don't end up being sympathetic. There's economic opposition, there's persecution from authorities, there's rejection from people, there's martyrdom, there are storms and shipwrecks, there's courts which are against the gospel message, there's imprisonment, there's opposition from orthodox religious tradition. If you have the ESV Study Bible, which I would recommend to you, the Study Bible is, uh, for ESV is actually the, the, the most recommended Study Bible at this present time, I think. There's a NIV coming out soon, but the ESV is the one that a lot of people recommend. They say that it's actually a pattern uh, in the book of Acts. And the pattern is up here, right? where Christians will preach the gospel, Listeners will be converted and added to the church, but then you always see that there is a division. There will be people who are converted and added, but at the same time the gospel will divide people and our opponents will arise and persecute the church. Then God will intervene and the gospel will continue to go forth. And I think that that is the template of how people receive the word when it is preached rightly in the book of Acts. When you preach repentance and forgiveness of sins and the gospel message of Jesus, some people will accept, some people will reject. There will be a division. It will divide the hearers. Next chapter 14, I'll give you an example. It says, There were people in the city, the people in the city were divided, some side of the Jews and the others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country, country, where they continued to preach the good news. Again in Acts chapter 17, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men followed, became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So as we look at the book of Acts, it actually teaches us as Christians that we should expect opposition and suffering 
and a divided response to the message. Because that is the way that God has shown us that His message of repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus will be received in this world. This is very important because the temptation for us is to stop preaching the word faithfully. Uh, I was reading this book by Martin Lloyd-Jones when he was writing in the 1960s. I thought this like, I was like, I, could, I couldn't believe it when I realized he wrote it in the 1960s. And he said that in England at this time, the church was full of wimpy, flabby, and weak men whose goal in life was not to offend anybody. And he was speaking about the pastors. Right? He was saying that these, you know, the picture of the pastor, I, I suppose, I don't know, there's some British caricatures of pastors, right? Just see them as like very, very weak, limb-wristed people whose, whose job is just to, 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 to make everybody uh, happy and not offend anybody. And he was saying that they need to stand up and preach the gospel and offend people. And I guess he's not saying that they are to be offensive people, but he's just saying he, they just need to go out and preach the gospel faithfully and divide people by saying, you either choose Jesus, you need to repent and get forgiveness of sins, or you, you're going to hell. And not just keep telling everybody that they are good people who are going to be saved. And if that was true in the 1960s in England, I think it's still true today. Because our temptation just then is to be wimpy, weak, and flabby, right? We just want to dilute the gospel and not offend people and not tell them they're sinners and not tell them they need to repent or they need to come to Jesus for forgiveness. We don't want to divide the response to us. We want everybody to not be offended. But if you look in the book of Acts, the, the, the truthful preaching of God's word uh, will offend people. So in conclusion, what is the book of Acts about as we do this overview? Well, the purpose of the book of Acts is to show the certainty of God's plan to actually bring the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. Our role is to bring that word to people. And as we bring the word to people, we will experience the same opposition and division and suffering as the people in the book of Acts. I began by saying that in the world we live in, it seems as if the world has no direction. Right? It's like things happen without rhyme or reason. Nobody knows where we come from. Nobody knows where we're going. But the book of Acts is very different. The book of Acts speaks with great certainty. You know, the word day, it is necessary, it must happen, these things must happen, because God's sovereign plan is at work. And His plan is for Jesus to come into this world, to suffer, to die, and to rise again. For Jesus to go to heaven, for the message of the gospel, repentance, and forgiveness of sins to go out to the all nations and for Jesus to come again and to bring all things to fulfillment. So as we listen to God's word, what is our part in it? 
Are you part of God's plan to bring this word to the world so that people will hear this word and they will be saved? So that when when Jesus comes again, truly, uh, you will be part of that direction in history and doing your part, which God requires of you as His people. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to see your plan which was written in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms hundreds and thousands of years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Help us to see the certainty of its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Help us to see the certainty of the fulfillment of the second part of the plan to bring the word of your gospel, the good news of Jesus to all nations. And help us to see that the last part of that plan, the return of Jesus, is all that we are waiting for. Dear Father, knowing this certainty, strengthen our faith, give us strong convictions, help us not to be weak, wimpy or flabby, but to preach your word faithfully, even if it may divide the response, even if it may offend people, to tell people that they need to repent, to come to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and to know of the certainty of Jesus' death and resurrection, so that they too will be raised to eternal life when Jesus comes again. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.